starting off with the Irish Independent, as, and as you can imagine, most of the papers are dominated by the events in Rio and all the fallout during the week. That includes the Sunday Independent, which leads with police hunt for Hickey's money. Brazilian police want access to Hickey's bank account. OCI boss wanted state funds for Sun's hospitality event. World Cup chief says innocence must be presumed. That is their main story. Also on the front page of Sunday Independent, my name is Alison Canavan and I'm addicted to alcohol. That is a story about the uh, model or the former model, Alison Canavan, talking about her own struggles. And interesting piece at the bottom, Brendan O'Connor, uh, just it's a nice, colourful piece about a time he went on holidays and how he met somebody and didn't know who this person was. And he just makes the point, I guess I was just lucky. Trevor O'Neill wasn't so lucky. That, of course, is a reference to that appalling tragedy in Mallorca during the week when um, Mr O'Neill was murdered in a case of mistaken identity. And we will come back to that story later in the programme. Now, the Sunday Times, no support for Hickey if convicted. OCI will refuse to pay legal fees over ticket touting. Again, that story uh, leading there. Also, abortion travel tweets pick up star following. Sarah McInerney reports that a Twitter account that claims to be documenting the journey to Britain of two Irish women seeking an abortion attracted international attention yesterday. Celebrities such as British comedian James Corden were among its supporters. That is a story that's about, self-explanatory really, about um, documenting a journey to Britain for an abortion. Also, their interesting story, Fianna Fáil to flex muscles over budget with demands on education and health. That, again, is something we'll be returning to. Sunday Business Post, athletes' family squeezed out in Olympics ticket fiasco. Families forced to pay black market prices for tickets is their take on that story. Also, site serve investigation to trawl banker phone messages from sale. That's in relation to the Commission of Investigation into the Sale of Site Serve. And that is planning to review text messages sent between the various parties overseeing the transaction. Mail on Sunday... Hickey share sell with Irish ticket out, ticket out in inverted commas because should point out nobody has been charged, not to mind convicted of any uh, allegation in relation to ticket sales. But that is saying that uh, Pat Hickey is now sharing a sell with Kevin Mallon, who was the Irishman arrested about three weeks ago now at the outset of this whole um, ticket controversy in Rio. Finally, the Sunday world, they killed the best son ever. Heartbroken dad's tears at senseless murder of innocent Trevor by cartel. That is that story I referred to earlier. Trevor O'Neill, the man shot dead in front of his family in Mallorca uh, earlier this week. OK, we're joined now to discuss those stories and much else in the newspapers by lecturer in law in NUIG, Larry Donnelly, MEP for Dublin, Brian Hayes, and the journalist and former Labour Party Senator Susan O'Keefe. You're all very welcome to the programme. Brian, if I could start with you, as we see, the papers are dominated mm. by Rio, Pat Hickey, the fallout. The latest development is this setting up of a non-statutory inquiry by the government. What can be achieved with a non-statutory inquiry that can compel witnesses and for which the main witness, the man at the centre of it all, is unavailable. Well, I think it remains to be seen what can be achieved because I know uh, Shane Ross and Patrick O'Donovan have said they want an inquiry um, and I think you know people need to know exactly what happened here. We'll have to wait and see what the terms of reference are. But there seems to be three things going on. Obviously, there's the the issue with Mr Hickey and what's going on in, in, in Brazil, where that all ends up. Uh, the, the question then of the state inquiring and reporting to the Dáil and how that's going to pan out. 
But I think the more immediate issue is for the OCI itself. I know they're meeting tonight in Dublin. I mean, they have primary responsibility here. This is the organisation which is responsible for the running uh, and organising of Irish Olympic athletes uh, in in the Olympic uh, competition. Uh, Internationally, they have responsibility for the brand in Ireland. And the truth is, terrible reputational damage has been done to the country as a consequence of what seems to be a scandal. Um, So I would have thought, in the first instance, they need to publicly state how they're going to inquire and get to the bottom of this. They should have access to all of the information. But uh, as to how the state's going to do this, we'll have to wait and see. I know Shane Ross wants to say something later this week. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but the point being that uh, the OCI is government-funded, largely, not exclusively, but to a large extent. Minority, I mean, that's the first question Mick, I asked. I mean, um, apparently, it's less than a third of the funding that goes to the OCI comes from the state. It's still a significant it's still amount a huge of, money, sum of money. But the great majority of the funds they get is by private enterprise. Uh, particularly in the run-up to the Olympics. Yeah, but the the point being, uh, there has to be an inquiry into this. Yep. Uh, the government has rushed in to this non-statutory inquiry and it's difficult to see how that can lead anywhere rather than fattening the wallets of an awful lot of lawyers again without any conclusive Well, the question, well, until we see exactly what the proposal is from Shane Ross and the government, um, I don't think we can come to a judgment on that. If, if he's proposing a commission of investigation um, which can you know, quickly go at, go at issues within a two or three month period, um, that then diminishes the, the cost issue. But it would have to be decided at what level that in- inquiry would happen. But I mean, the doll would want to know exactly what happened here, because as I said, over the summer period, reputational damage was done to Ireland. And as you rightly say, a, a significant amount of money has gone into the OCI, taxpayers' money, and people need to be held accountable for that. But the first primary responsibility is at the level of the OCI, what exactly they know. And presumably, if they have all the records, they can make a, a judgment pretty quickly as to what exactly happened. OK, how do you think Shane Ross handled the whole affair? Listen, it's been a baptism of fire for him and he has lots of critics who've been waiting uh, to come down the heavy on him. Uh, you know what sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. No better man over the years to be first up to the plinth. But in fairness to him, I think, um, you know, as he came back from, from Rio, the the fact that the other astonishing development happened with Mr Hickey, I think made it somewhat easier for him in terms of having to deal with the issue. Uh, it hasn't been easy for him, but I think he's he's taking the right approach now. Yeah, and you mentioned about the OCI being the pr- being primary mm. primarily responsible, but if there are issues of corporate governance, mm-hmm. I mean, what's the government going to do about it? You're still pumping huge amounts of funds in there. There have been a number of issues over the last yes, 25, 30 years with yeah. the OCI, yet nothing has changed in relation to the government giving money to them and the the, the, the dominance of Mr Hickey in particular and others Well, over this a very is the exact period. same issue, really, isn't it, uh, in terms of the charities issue that came up some months ago. Like, I mean, the idea that one person, whoever that is, is in charge of one organisation for, you know, close to three decades is a, is a fundamental issue, I would have thought, for that organisation. How one person can remain in place. It's not good for the voluntary sector. Democratically it elected. It's not good for politics if the same situation, if per- people are perpetually in government. It's not good in any sector of society. So that's a huge question for them to, a- to ask and answer themselves. But I think there has to be absolute strings attached to any government funding that goes to the OCR or, or, or anyone else for that matter. Okay, Larry Donnelly, how do you think the government's handled it? 
Um, well, it's been <laughs> it, it's it's been a tricky situation for the government. Uh, obviously, uh, goes without saying. But I, I have to say, I come to this from something of a, a nihilistic perspective, in the sense that, uh, given everything I've seen and watched over recent years, uh, I'm afraid that I, I make this assumption that international amateur athletics uh, usually isn't on the level, and that there's a lot of corruption involved uh, at all levels. Uh, and I think you know, just looking at today's papers, the two people who sum it up for me are Tom McGurk in the Business Post uh, and Jean Jean Carrigan in the Sindo, uh, where Tom McGurk, who presciently warned about uh, corruption in boxing uh, weeks before the Olympics took place, also said, look, in the bigger picture, um, the Olympics, there's a tremendous amount of corruption at every level and has been uh, for some time. Gene Carrigan, bringing it back home, I suppose, relates this, and we're talking about an inquiry, we're talking about what might happen, etc., the issue of resources and what will be dedicated to this inquiry. Gene Carrigan puts it into context, I think, rather nicely by, first of all, saying that, uh, look, this is all good for headlines, the Olympics people watching. Uh, Of course, we we reveled in the successes of the O'Donovans and Annalise Murphy and Thomas Barr and others. Um, So this is headline-friendly, but in the bigger picture... This is a relative pittance Absolutely. in terms of the money and the sums involved when you, when you juxtapose it with something like NAMA. So uh, to me, the bigger issue here, and I think that for the, for the globe, across the globe, uh, this Olympics has been replete with FOSS. I mean, absolute FOSS. Uh, in the United States, we had the scandal of this, uh, this distro- mm-hmm. destruction of a gas station. We have stadiums that are half empty. We have allegations of corruption. We have corruption in judging, etc., the Olympics are in serious crisis now, uh, and what is going to happen to the Olympic Games in future? Yes, Susan, I mean, I think it's also fair to say there was some small chinks of light here, and that is to do with the individual athletes. If you ask anybody involved in sport at the most basic level now, their ideal, those in amateur sport leave out the likes of football or whatever, their ideal is Olympic Games, Olympic medals. So at that level, there's obviously an issue because for athletes, it is still the ultimate. I think, yes, particularly in smaller countries, that's true, where they get a chance to perform on a world stage. Uh, They have something real to work towards, a real target to train for. Uh, And winning a medal or even being placed, as some of our athletes have been, you know, making the final, getting a personal best, that makes a huge difference. And it does bring extraordinary pride to local communities, to local clubs, and it spurs on coaches and young people to take part in sport, which, of course, is really also very welcome. Uh, I think there's a thing going on in the Olympics also where there's a kind of the stars performing, the Usain Bolt type of star and then you have what I call the heroes which are those people who train in their spare time almost to be an Olympic champion and I think that is now seriously at risk Uh, but I do believe that this government inquiry, presuming it does proceed, should concentrate its effort on governance uh, at the OCI, uh, the relationship between uh, the board members, between OCI and the Sports Council and I'm not sure Brian that actually all the records may be available to the board at the OCI because be. some of this may be held personally yeah. Uh, yeah, on personal email and so on but this idea that that you know the government does have a role here yeah, but, but I think Su- it's on the governance side Susan, not on any other the immediate response side. in fairness to Shane Ross when he went to Rio the immediate response of OCI was not to have an independent person on that internal inquiry now they've subsequently changed their position no, on that. They no, made a complete. They made an absolute handbook. That's true. But, but that's, that's true. But I, I, if you like, I'm not arguing about yeah. what Shane Ross did or didn't do. I'm saying that's where that inquiry should lie. And equally, in the future, the whole question about the future of the Olympic Games surely the, has to be. Brian, there, there is. But up I mean, for the issue, I mean, just to return yeah. to this issue, and that's the one Jean Kerrigan arose, and someone else mentioned it during the week. I mean, 
It's great for politicians to be on the side of angels in this affair. It's sport. It's something that touches a chord a card with everybody. You've the likes of Timmy Dooley came out. He wants the revenue commissioners, the Gardaí, the director of corporate enforcement involved, all of that. Yet, the government, with the help of Fianna Fáil, has ensured that a far more serious issue, NAMA, and NAMA's sale of Project Eagle in the North has, will not be the subject of a proper investigation here. And we saw during the week again further um, outcomes from that in relation to uh, the resignation of Dahi McCain in the North. Now, I mean, this is a proper issue that deserves scrutiny, yet the government is running away from it. Well, I, I, listen, the government is not running away from it. That's, that's my, my primary view on, on that issue. And you are right, there are issues in Northern Ireland which are encroaching on this as well. Uh, can I just make one point... Uh, this is August. Uh, why is it the case in every single August? I know when the Olympics are on that we are, it, it is constantly dominated by controversy, either doping scandals or OCI uh, ticket touting and, and the like. And I think there's a real problem in that, that there's a con- complete focus uh, on the Olympics as a negative. And we've got to address that issue. Uh, now, that can't be done exclusively by government or the OCI, but it has to be done in Ireland and elsewhere. And I think the argument on NAMA, which you rightly raise, has to be addressed. How it's going to be addressed is the fundamental issue. Well, would you be in favour of a commission of investigation into it? I've, 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 no, I've, no, I've no objection in principle to that whatsoever, but there's a scoping exercise being done to find out exactly what needs to occur. Uh, but whether or not this is going to be used in that political sense, I'm, I'm not so convinced that we can get to the, the truth of that, uh, because in a circumstances where allegations have been made in, 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 by privilege in the Doyle, uh, that's one thing. And then we Allegations see which are shown to have substance. Well, let's see. Let's see. Uh, but there has to be a means of finding out exactly what happened, and I'm open to see exactly how that can happen. OK, Larry, there's another issue too about the whole thing with uh, Pat Hickey and being arrested. He's been arrested for this in a very public manner. He's been detained in a maximum security prison. He's 71 years of age, all for a crime that is not an alleged crime, excuse me, that is not even an offence in this country and from everything I can gather is unlikely to be prosecuted and certainly won't attract a prison sentence. Is this all for show? Uh, I think arguably it could be. Uh, I think one of the people writing this week, Paul Rouse, I think in the Irish Examiner, your paper, speaking to him later, um, yeah. was writing about how, look, any time the Olympics goes to a country or to a city, I know this intimately because Boston was involved uh, in an Olympic bid recently, which it abandoned due to public pressure. Uh, any time a city, especially a, city, uh, a country like Brazil, uh, with huge income inequality, when they have an Olympics and bring it and spend huge resources, uh, it's a political hot potato, and rightly mm-hmm. so. Uh, and what Paul Ross was mentioning was perhaps uh, you know some of this, the high profile, the videoing, the tipping off the media, was to distract a little bit of the blame that this somehow... This was outsiders. This was people from from beyond who were causing the corruption, uh, who had a role in those half-empty stadiums that people were seeing, um, that that was at the heart of some of this. But certainly uh, from our own conception of justice, uh, I think there's something disturbing about uh, seeing that man being brought out of a hotel and, you know, in half-dress, etc. Uh, something a little bit disconcerting from my perspective, especially given the fact that, as you say, this isn't, I mean, uh, in Boston, I mean, this is scalping tickets. What was the problem in Boston, Larry? Well, in Boston, what happened was that we were the... the the number one city for the 2024 Olympic Games. And a group, a grassroots group, came up uh, called No Boston Olympics. And what they did was they embarked upon uh, a series of campaigning. What they, they relied upon serious academic research uh, about the impact of the Olympic Games uh, on cities where they have them. 
It was presumed by those backing it that this would revitalize the city, change neighborhoods, bring revenue, create jobs, all these things. And the No Boston Olympics crew convinced everyone through evidence that this just isn't the case, that it's a loser, that having the Olympics is a loser. But isn't there a danger in – and I've heard this around the place at the moment just because it's South America presuming that – police forces and the justice system is is corrupt. Isn't there a danger in that? Isn't there a kind of a European arrogance in that? In yes, I don't stand over at all the way in which the kind of the, the public were tipped off and the newscasters were there at Mr Hickey's um, arrest. That, that that was an appalling situation. No one can ever stand over that. And you rightly say, this is not an offence in this country, but it is in that country. And the other, we shouldn't be all that surprised that this is an issue here. Was it the, uh, the footballer Romario. Romario, who's now a member of Parliament, has been banging on about this issue. Uh, uh, he has formed this issue. We, we know that the prices of tickets there, there was no way that ordinary people could have a chance to see the games. As, as you rightly say, Larry, the games were half, the, the stadium's half empty. We also know from their legal system where this other character uh, who had was going to face charges absconded. That was one of the reasons why, in the circumstances of, of the case on Mr Hickey, that the justice uh, decided not to allow the, uh, to, to uh, bail. So, so in fairness to the, to the Brazilian authorities, uh, to their police and legal side, they have been talking about this issue for a long time because of the fact we do know that one of these companies was involved uh, in in an appalling situation when it came to the mo- most recent Olympic Games in, in London. So um, maybe the Brazilians are taking a strong position on this because they want to say, no, this this is not acceptable in this country. And, and as I, the and Sunday I, Business Post reports, uh, you know, on their front page, they've had uh, communication with families who... That's uh, serious. You know, Very serious. Families of the athletes. Couldn't and get as tickets. we discussed for here, for people to get to the Olympics as an Irish person, is a huge achievement. They want their family to be there. This is a real moment of personal pride. And if that story is saying, you know, that they were trying to get tickets, that they were calling companies, that they were ringing London, they couldn't get answers, they ended up buying tickets online in some cases at inflated prices, just to be there for their own family and friends. And, and that really seems to me to be at the core of this, if that is the case, and we, and and it is true that Mr. Hickey and anybody else involved in this is innocent mm. until proven guilty. But certainly, it is a case that has to be answered for. And if it's going to be answered in Brazil, then let justice, you know, but follow that, its that path. story that's in the Business Post today. But I think Michael Brennan, uh, that Susan refers to, that story where where athletes' families couldn't get tickets. Can you imagine the cost of getting to Brazil, going there mm. for a two or three, or even going for a few weeks before? In, ter- in terms of your son or your daughter being you, the training and acclimatisation and all the rest of it. Can you imagine the cost involved there? And they couldn't even get tickets to to see uh, some of these events in the circumstances where there were very yeah, small numbers of Irish people that, there. Ex- well, That's and the, the other point being thing. To, to, to walk in and see half-empty mm. stadia yeah. in a number in of instances not, yet not having been able to have access to there tickets. Was a, I'm, not, I'm not sure, did you see it in the, Sunday, in the, sorry, in the, in the Irish Times yesterday, uh, there was a very good piece on this packaging. I think this issue is around, not so much the ticketing per se, per se it's the whole packaging of these the things and how people have been defrauded. No, just a couple of your texts on our first item. Uh, what Olympic ideal? The Olympics are corrupt, like everything is corrupt. We human beings are a corrupt species. Ideals are just a ruse to, for the sheep to follow. 
Yeah, that's a very dark sort of interpretation of human nature, but some people may <laughs> agree with it. philosophical for Sunday morning. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> now, Tony and Cork, why have a committee of OCI not all resigned? It is the OCI that are responsible for what has happened, not just one person. Are you afraid to ask the question? No, Tony, not afraid at all. That is a reasonable question, and I think it's one perhaps the OCI may address themselves because I think they're due to be meeting later today. All we do know is that the Brazilian authorities have arrested the president of the OCI and uh, there are other members available to them and they haven't done so. So we can only go, it's it's a matter for the Brazilian police in that regard. In fairness, they need, there needs to be some evidence yeah, exactly. uh, against anybody else before and, and the OCI committee, we don't know anything about their role in it at this exactly, point. Exactly, so. yeah. Uh, one more for Brian. Why do we have a police force if it does if we don't use them to investigate a suspected crime? Minister Ross's response is totally unacceptable. Brian, the first issue there is that um, it isn't a crime in this it's country. It's not a crime in this yeah, country. Yeah, exactly. that's, and that's a major defect. We, d- we do need to have uh, legislation um, making, making a criminal ticket-touting. Well, yes, I'd agree, but I have to say, in, in the scale of things, and we see what goes on, ticket touting, I think, is yeah, way down the scale. No, I, I know. Back I'm, again to I'm, NAMA, and that, s- that is the biggest I'm scandal, not, I'm, not, I'm, not suggesting, I'm not suggesting there are not more serious issues. That's not the point. Yeah. But we do know every time there's a major concert in town and people complain about the way in which they've had to pay over the, yeah. the you know, way over the price for these tickets, there's no legal format through which the actual police can can take this issue seriously at an organisation level, not on a one by one level, That's but an organisation I, I would also say, though, I mean, in my experience in terms of sporting organisations like the GAA, mm. uh, there is a certain amount of honour among participants. Yes. You will often find that people will only pass on. I've been had it myself standing outside Croke Park. People give me a ticket for face value even when the thing was sold out. The problem that, that is exist. when this gets at an organisation level that when you have a, a, a company which is responsible for taking on surplus tickets and the, what they do with that, how they market that, how they use it as a package. That is actually the issue here, I think, more than one or two tickets being, being touted. Isn't the, the Department of Sport now looking to take over that piece of legislation yes. from the Department of Jobs, I think? It's been 20 and years in the in, Yeah, in so it has been stuck making. and it should... And I mean, it's actually something that could be done very quickly. It's, it's not it's a difficult piece of legislation. The whole thing is back to the amount of money in sport and to a phrase perhaps by uh, one great Irish sportsman, one Roy Keane after an away Manchester United football game when he made references to the Prawn Sandwich Brigade <laughs> which seemed to be dominating. Anyway, we will leave that there for the moment and move on to what was a really serious, serious story during the week and that was a tragic murder in Majorca of Trevor O'Neill, a young man who was shot dead in front of his partner and three children on the basis of mistaken identity and not only that, the, the identity of the individual who was the target was targeted, it would appear, merely because his surname was Hutch. He was not involved in crime at all himself. Larry Donnelly, this is, is kind of Kafkaesque because what can the Gardaí do yeah. about that? It's very, very difficult. Um, I mean, first of all, uh, it's it's heartbreaking, as I think Brendan O'Connor said. I think uh, we've all had the experience of meeting people uh, when we were away and having conversations with them. You know, And indeed, I take it a step further. Uh, here in Ireland, I've met a lot of guys from, from Boston who, uh, if I saw them at home, I probably wouldn't talk to them, but I see them here <laughs> and I do talk to them. Uh, these are guys who, weren't, we wouldn't, who wouldn't be angels, to be, to be perfectly frank with you. Um, but no, it's just horrendous for, for, his, for his family. It's, just, it's, it's beyond comprehension, really. But uh, I think the big thing here is this feud is just extraordinary. Is uh, it a feud, Larry? And it would appear at this stage to be simply a matter of a gang who have international resources deciding they're going to wipe out anybody associated with 
this Hutch family it's, in North Inner City. It's it's a real mismatch in terms of if it, you know a, a fight between two families. If it is if it is a fight or a feud, it, it's it's a real mismatch in, in the sense that the Kinahan family is huge and has tentacles everywhere uh, and can get at people uh, and don't care if they take out innocent people in the process. Obviously, uh, so you know how much longer this is going to go on and whether any kind of truce can be brokered. I mean, uh, you, we've heard lots of talk that there were conversations going on that they were going to sort this out, etc. Uh, but not, it seems to continue on and on. Uh, and what's very clear to me is uh, that the Regency attack where uh, seems to have been targeted at the Kinahan family, uh, the Hutch family, very, very badly miscalculated. Did it, so the thing that strikes me is we've had scenarios. There, there was a feud in the south inner city in Dublin. There was a long-standing one in Limerick, and particularly in Limerick, the Gardaí were in a position to apply resources to ensure that everybody involved probably who'd anything at all they were put under pressure they ended up being brought before the courts they ended up in prison and it actually started the issue the problem here is this is international mm-hmm. this is international and also I mean the Sunday Independent is re- it reports that you know there's a, around 800 deaths associated deaths D-E-A-T-H-S associated now with this feud and feud is obviously too small a word uh, but interestingly um, the Sunday Times editorial talks about the blasé reaction to the Mallorca murder and describe it as disturbing and say that um, Justice Minister Francis Fitzgerald didn't issue a statement for three days and they're saying that are we now getting to the stage where we're just going oh that's another murder and, and rightly as you say the whole idea that in Limerick there was a turning point when that occurred and yet we're see- we seem unable with this particular uh, family um, a dispute uh, to to be able to know what to do, and it is very violent, and the, the violence is 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 terrifying. Yeah, actually, how do you deal with that level of violence where collateral damage seems to be okay with them? And and whereas we described the, the, and how many the, police forces do you need to get involved at this stage? That's the issue. The other issue that was brought up there, and that uh, the reaction this week from Francis Fitzgerald in particular three days without a mention of anything for what was an appalling attack on an Irish citizen is that acceptable? Well I, I don't know the circumstances of where the Minister was or, but I, I, she did respond to it um, Very belated Yeah but I mean she's very listen she's the Minister for Justice Make uh, if anyone in the country is really concerned about this feud and the death that has fallen from it she is, and she knows she's on top of it, and as indeed the Gardaí are. Um, but, but I think you put your finger on it earlier when you said this is an international uh, problem. And this is something that at an EU level we probably can do something about if we actually got our act together. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I would like to think, for instance, if a Spanish um, crime boss was living in Ireland uh, and were, was going around the place with flashy cars and uh, no one could tell me how they obtained a wealthy house or whatever. I'd like to think, and I know we could do something about it because we have the proceeds of crime bill, we have cab. That's not the case in Spain. It's a question of priorities. Don't well, Spanish have to deal with a whole I understand of international that. And what happened when we introduced uh, 20 years ago uh, the cab legislation, a lot of these guys um, went to the Netherlands, went to Belgium, went to Spain and elsewhere. And the dilemma is this. We can actually now get an court enforcement taking these assets from them. They've got to prove how they got them, which, which of course, they, they, they're not able to do. In other countries, they don't have that presumption. And the only way we can actually deal with this is take their money from them. So we need to have, at an EU level, a, a, a effectively a criminal assets bureau, which will will actually dispose of people's uh, income and their property 
uh, and then get those people if they feel that they were harshly treated to, to, to counter that. But that if, has to happen in Spain and elsewhere. But if the European Parliament could be seen to be actually if the European taking Parliament wants to do it, it's a, the, the decision, oh, no, it's at a government it's level that they, that they won't agree to this. And I there's know. a problem of, of, of the, the common law jurisdiction here. But uh, it is, if we're, like, I mean, if the Spanish are really serious uh, and I would, I, I would, I would hope in this country would be like there would be reputational damage done to Ireland if there's whole scale numbers of criminals living here at an international level. There has to be some European response to this, which has a common approach in terms of tackling these guys at an international level. Larry, I, I think, I think Brian is abs- is right in terms of what he's saying, but I think I just want to draw a little bit of a distinction between you know the criminal operations of the Kinahan family versus this, which is very much a personalized, as best I can tell, a personalized fight. Again, these are not gangs that operate in the sim- in the similar terrain. The Hutches are very small compared to the Kinahan network. What's the capacity of the Kinahans to do that with impunity is the problem. Oh, it, it is it is the problem. But I mean, you you know how how do you you know in the context of a personalized feud where it's where it's one punching and counterpunching in a horrible way, um, you know, how do you get at that? I mean, Enda Kenny, I think, took a lot of flack when he said, you know, I'm not sure how we can stop. All, I'm not sure how we can stop all this. Well. In, in fairness to Enda Kenny, I'm not sure either. When it's a personalized feud and people are going after one another, I don't know how you stop that. I take the point absolutely that in terms of the Kinahan's operations, the way to get at them is a European approach. But this particular feud, yeah. I'm not so Limerick. sure. It stopped it in, 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 well, in Limerick. Well, the, the courts went down to Limerick. The difference was, didn't they? They relocated the court from Dublin to Limerick. Yes, it was a much smaller group because even when it comes to the areas that were involved in this, it's a much much smaller area. Uh, there was, a, but there's been specialised policing put in, Mick, as you know, into Dublin, and especially in the area where some of these guys are operating. So, I mean, you can do so much at at one level, and you have to keep the resourcing up. And I know Francis Gerald is very committed to that. But in a circumstance where someone can 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 murder another individual, another human being in another part of Europe. How much can you do to prevent that? Point, Ex- exactly, that's exactly the point. The scale is different. The scale is so hard to get a yes. get a handle on. But also, that's the sort of thing that makes the argument that people have about Europe being powerless. That's exactly it. Here we are in the face of something that Europe should have a say. But in. Susan, and yet, if no, no, hang on, yeah. let me finish. That uh, from your own mouth, it is very difficult. I know that, but that's mm. the sort of thing that gives fuel to the argument that the whole European structure. Uh, it doesn't have the capacity to respond to what is clearly now a European if That's a point. Yeah, we, 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 we have to subsume our interest to European interests in other areas, particularly yeah. financial, yeah. yet here in the area of criminal justice, exactly. it doesn't seem to be working. And if there is one area where governments and the European Council have shown a reluctance to come together and produce a common approach, is it, is it, it is in the areas of justice and home affairs, because people are very, very determined to say, listen, this is our own legal system, our own judicial system, uh, we, we operate differently and we won't come together. But I think because this is an international problem, an EU problem, uh, causes huge damage to countries uh, because of the difference. And clearly, these guys are exposing loopholes that exist in other member states of the European Union. And so that's the challenge. That is the challenge. But, I mean, there still is an issue at home. There still is an issue around gangland, around the the amount of violence that's associated with it, and the the, the sale of drugs. And there is an issue still about the resourcing of the Guardian. Well, one of the things that, um, because, I mean, this thing is going on for the last six months, well, it's less than six months, if you take... Well, originally nearly a year. The first murder was last September. But in turn, I mean, one of the things that the government have done, and Andy Kenny's really committed to this because he's spoken about it at our party meetings, uh, is trying to 
particularly in the north inner city, to give some hope to people there that the government's going to respond to this, not just at a policing level, but especially in terms of extra resources and sporting areas. And he's been down there a lot. And I know people know that. He's committed to doing it with Pascal Dunne, who's the Public Affairs Minister, who's the TD for the area, and all of the other TDs in, the, in, in, the, in that community, to try to say to people, listen, this it can't just be about one area being blackened as a consequence of what's happened here. We have got to actually respond in a positive way to that community, reach out to that community, make sure that people feel that they're you know, part of the state as well. And that hasn't happened. And too often, whole communities have been ignored and forgotten about. And we, we've got a responsibility to change that. Would you have any faith, Larry, in this initiative by the Taoiseach to make any real difference in that regard? There is a severe disadvantage where crime is inevitably going to breed. I, 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 have, I have faith because I have hope. I mean, I, I, all, all we can do is have some hope in this regard. And I think the key point is that not all of the resources be dedicated to policing. The resources yeah. need to be dedicated uh, to things like education, to providing access to third level, all those sorts of things. That's what needs to be incentivized. The vast majority of people, it's, 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 it's kind of a cliche at this stage, but it's true. The vast majority of people living in these areas are good, very good, hardworking people, and they don't deserve to be tied with this brush. What they do deserve is to have the same opportunities to succeed as people in other areas, as other, other more affluent areas of the city. Yes, it's inevitable when, there, when there's cutbacks, when there's austerity, it's these areas that get worse hit, Susan. Yeah, I mean... But Under you, a Labour government in the last... Yeah, you do instance. have to have faith, though, that... that in the end, who is going to fix or who is going to make things better? Only only put the political apparatus, whoever's in power. And you have to have faith that it, it will be built slowly and it's actually probably going to take uh, too long. And I agree with you, the fear is always that when there are cutbacks then, they're the areas that, that, that get targeted. But at the very least now, there is an interest, there has been an effort made I'm just hoping the effort will continue yeah. and that the effort will strengthen and it not just well, be some visits by, no, no, by Taoiseach that. and that it needs to then well, translate the Taoiseach, into know, reality. There's been five meetings in and that community with the Taoiseach there. He hasn't got, there hasn't been big press announcements. No. There hasn't been cameras there and it's, he's gone. He's listened. He's spent most of his time listening actually. He's appointed a group of people at an interdepartmental level to, to see if we can move on a number of things around the investment side housing, social, better social amenities, better sporting amenities so we've got to deliver for that community there because you know they live there, they don't want their area regarded as some kind of no hope area where, where these guys can go, come in with impunity and take people out. So we have a responsibility, Susan said, to deliver that. Now I know he's had five meetings there, he's very committed to it uh, these, these haven't been huge PR announcements, but we have now, in, in the months ahead, have got to deliver more resources. But there. it's also true, Brian, that, I mean, yes, this is happening there now because there has been this outbreak of violence, mm. but the same issues pertain in a lot of other disadvantaged communities around no the country doubt. that aren't receiving that kind of uh, attention. No, well, Absolutely. I would hope, I mean, as the um, economic environment is improving, uh, even with the threats that are there to the economy, I would hope that we can deliver that. And I mean, the important point is the government with the support of Fianna Fáil has agreed a two-to-one ratio in terms of additional public uh, spending as against tax reductions over the course of this government. However Which is long the opposite of what Fine Gael were initially proposing yeah, in but sure, that's, the that's the nature of compromise. You come to an agreement. Make it's called democracy. Right. <laughs> but the, I mean, just, just to add, I mean, there's not just from the moral, this is the right thing to do. Uh, if you look at the costs of investing in things like access to education and all the things that Brian was talking about versus the potential longer term consequences of not investing and more and more young people falling, out, falling through the cracks uh, and being incarcerated and all sorts of other things, the long term costs are dramatically higher as well. Absolutely. So there's a hard headed case to be made for this as well as a, a, you know, a good hearted case. But the problem with that, Larry, and this has been shown time and time again, is 
is what you're saying is absolutely correct, but it deals with the long term. It and does not politics. deal with the short term and, and not, the next And election. we're not good at dealing with and, that in Irish and, politics. No. And as Brian t- talks about there about democracy and that that actually brings us to the reports in, in, in today's papers about, you know, the starting of the flexing of muscles by Fianna Fáil in relation we'll to the budget. Now, just a couple of your texts. Uh, Mary Texas, we have a depleted Garda force. Fine Gael destroyed the morale of Gardaí by cuts to their pay and not training more people. No need to go to Brian and that because I'm sure he would totally disagree with us. Well, the government reopened uh, okay. the, 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 the training college that was closed and the numbers are going up year on year. Okay. Uh, another text. A good start would be for the Irish casual drug user to stop using on a moral point. These people should consider their responsibility here. That would be a good start. It would also, I would suggest to you, probably go against human nature as we've known it since man first emerged from the cave and even prior to that unfortunately but but there's no question there is an issue around that and hopefully will be addressed in some form by some people can the panel tell us how did the killers get off the island this is Mallorca in relation to the murder of Trevor O'Neill if they did get off it's a small island what about the coast guards good point but that's um, policing in Spanish jurisdiction rather than here and find, Mick, Fing, Mick from Fingers it's a bit rich to hear politicians cry foul about Pat Hickey when you look at distribution of a lot of money by successive ministers of sport to their towns and constituencies we're a nation that cannot be scandalised Mick from Fingers says and one final one just interesting one here when are you going to acknowledge extraordinary Team GB performance in Rio? One gold 20 years ago, 26 now already. Surely an example for Ireland regarding how to do funding and manage our Olympic efforts. Our athletes deserve no less. That is a fair, fair point. Fair point. Yeah. Well, it should also be acknowledged. I think it's £5.5 million per medal they've calculated the funding at. And you would also have to ask if the funding is going into at that level for elite athletes is it being taken from grassroots and the whole ethos of sport for everybody well I was just looking actually at the figures for the medals uh, yesterday in the Guardian and uh, in fact the the, uh, Team GB won the same number of medals in 2012 as they have this year that's not to demean the number of medals that they've won uh, but it's just that it hasn't actually gone up since since four years ago but there is always that challenge that dilemma between investing in elite sport does it give you the trickle down does it give the support does it encourage young people to take up sport does it make the coaches more enthusiastic when they see the elite sports people winning. We don't really have a cohort of elite sports in the same way here. We've never had the funding for it. We have had a handful of people who've broken through and have really been terrific ambassadors for Ireland, actually. Uh, But we don't really have that cohort because there isn't the funding. But actually, Team GB is at the same level it was four years ago. Okay. uh, Now, just moving home to politics here. um, Larry Donnelly, we've seen a number of stories today about the opening salvos in the forthcoming budget negotiations. Will this be a Fianna Fáil budget? Well, I think they're going to exert as much influence as they possibly can. And they're going to put, uh, as I I would call it, this curious little arrangement, I think it's very much going to be put to the test. Uh, I suppose in in some ways you have the mutually assured destruction theory in operation in the sense that neither party uh, wants another uh, general election hot and heavy after the last one. Um, But I think they're certainly going to exert uh, as much as they possibly can and make the the budget look as best they can from their political uh, perspective. Uh, And one of the things I think they've shown in this and, and since the the formation of this 
uh, again, curious little arrangement, uh, is that in many ways um, they're still better at politics than Fine Gael. I know Brian won't like me saying that, but I think they still no, are. Uh, well, I th- my favourite quote has to be um, Michael McGrath, who of course is the finance spokesperson yeah. for Fianna Fáil. I, I, his favourite quote today, I think it's in the Sunday, Business, the Sunday Independent, I'm sure Fine Gael will expect Fianna Fáil to want to have a stamp on certain elements of the budget. Very well put. <laughs> Brian, the, the, the other headline there, the other headline there that jumps out is in the Sunday Times, Fianna Fáil to flex muscles over budget with demands on education and health. So we take it from that that Fianna Fáil are interested in education and health, not like those people in the Fine Gael. Exactly. That's what they like to <laughs> say in August anyway. But taking Larry's point about Fianna Fáil doing better politics than Fine Gael, uh, yeah, it's, maybe it's a fair enough point, but I think it's the first time in our history that uh, we've Fine Gael, Taoiseach, uh, Fine Gael ministers, Fine Gael government with independence, purely put there by Fianna Fáil. Not a bad outcome, I would have thought, in well, the circumstances uh, where well, we lost so heavily in the last election. can also be put out <laughs> very quickly by Fianna Fáil, oh, well, and that is that the There catch. is no doubt, Mick. Listen, one of the things that's interesting about this budget round is uh, how, how soon this is going to be upon us. I mean, the, I mean, October, the second week of October is coming pretty quickly. Um, so so pr- up to now, you have the kind of the usual drama of a pre-budget submissions by opposition spokespeople out at one minute before the budget is out. They have no attention and they make all these promises to people, none of which are doable. So it's going to dramatically change now that all of the opposition parties and the, the new budgetary committee will actually have to put their cards on the table much earlier in the day, i.e. in the next few weeks, to find out exactly what they want but to do. But, Brian, you could also ask, what does Fine Gael exist for these days? Because one of the one of the guiding principles bef- prior to the election was the abolition of the USC. Lots and of other principles. The whole, now, well, no, the whole area of cutting yeah. taxes was one of yeah, the main selling points important. for Fine Gael. Yeah, and that, I think, partic- it would seem, or certainly the noise that we made, coming under pressure from Fianna Fáil, where services is going to continue to be the main issue, sure. rather than Tax cutting Every, in the last election, everyone wanted to cut USC. The question was how much cutting you wanted to do. So it's a bit of a dramatisation to suggest it was only us talking about it. You're talking about abolishing it. Well, yeah, over, over a lifetime of a, of a government, exactly, if, if that's possible. But, I mean, the new agreement we have with Fianna Fáil, this confidence and supply arrangement, which I love the phrase, is, <laughs> is, as I said earlier, two to one in terms of the resources that are there. For every two euro, we'll be spending extra on public services, be tax cuts of one euro, if that's possible. Now, I think Pascal Donoghue has been very cautious, very clever. He's a good article in the Sunday Business Post today uh, in that regard as well. I think the Fianna Fáil, uh, I know Fianna Fáil, actually I've been very complimentary to Fianna Fáil, the way in which they have supported the government. Good move uh, under the current circumstances. In this scenario. But listen, they've given an agreement for three budgets. This is the first. They're not going to bring down a government on this, I would have thought. Of course, there'll be lots of headlines, as you referred to earlier. Will Leo D wanting this, that and the other, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, there will be a budget. It will be put through. It'll be a budget which is about trying to make sure that the recovery continues and also a budget about trying to make sure that we deal with some of these major social problems that have come out of the last few years because the money wasn't there. But Susan, one other thing, Susan, I mean, um, Brian mentioned uh, Pascal Donoghue's piece in the Sunday Business Post, which he kind of begins with a kind of, I have come to praise Brendan Howland not to bury him. <laughs> but he goes on to suggest that Mr Howland and Labour in general have become extremely populist as opposed to pragmatic since leaving government. I mean, is that reasonable? Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm not really in a position to comment, you know, not, no longer being part no, of parliamentary you know, party politics. Presumably Labour would represent your, your uh, well, views to a certain extent. You know, extent. I, 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 see, I see them... I see them taking part in the, in the debate, but as a very much reduced 
party and and I don't know whether you'd call that more populist or not. I'm actually not concerned with that. I'm more concerned with what with what Brian was saying there about, you know, the Fianna Fáil won't bring down the government over the budget. Actually, it's not about whether Fianna Fáil would bring down the government on the budget. It's whether or not the government can put a good budget to the country and the budget that is needed. But they can't do without Fianna Fáil. They can't do without Fianna Fáil. That's the point. I know that, but but, but the the way that you were delivering that suggested that, if you like, that's the priority, is to keep the government in in its position. The the priority is to have a good budget to make sure we can... I'm arguing with the, you that the, the, the way that you were talking about that mm. was that you were saying, you know, uh, that that's really what's going on here is that we have to keep each other in power. And I'm only saying just we mm. have to separate that. There, there's going to be incredible horse trading in the next few, seven incredible. weeks. Incredible. Incredible. A, a whole new level of new politics. Is, is, there much is there much difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in, in terms of any of their socioeconomic outlook that they would require incredible horse trading? Well, they are, because Fianna Fáil will want, as, as Michael McGrath has said, put it, to put their stamp and to make their mark and to argue about whether the reduction of USC should be a reduction, whether tax cuts should it, be reduced, where the Susan, money should, should go. Is, is, it not, is it not fair to argue that it's not just a question for Fianna Fáil, it's for other opposition parties who get off Scott lightly on this constant in pretending to the public that they can do a whole lot of things with, with, with numbers that just are phony. Of course. It's, it's a rather for every TD in a circumstance where the doll has, where the government has no majority to work with those TDs and find out exactly what are the issues that they want to raise in the budget. That and that requires great. honesty, okay. which we great. never get in opposition politics. Larry, what does seem to be emerging is that, and Fianna Fáil made the most of it during the election where they put a greater concentration on public services rather than tax cutting. Is it, as a result of that, fair to say that the body politic has moved somewhat to the left compared to what previously was the case? It's a good question. Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure. I, I, but I do think maybe one thing that people might have learned given, uh, I suppose, when taxes were cut, when we were, you know, when taxes were low, et cetera, uh, and we had the crash and we had all, we've had all the difficulties, that people might be a little bit more cautious and might be wanting to spend uh, more money and invest uh, rather, rather as opposed to c- cutting taxes and, uh, and seeing where that leads us to. So uh, if there's a shift, it might be that way. But I think on the broader point in the differences between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, I think there's a slight difference. I think Fianna Fáil might be slightly more more to the left, I suppose, on on financial and fiscal issues, but the di- the the gulf between them isn't so broad that it can't be bridged. No, of course. No, it's just a slightly to the left. They're also the the party that basically supported the building industry, cut taxes. That, uh, that, that was a, that was a different time, and I think different a different, d- different leader. And I think Miel Martin is is generally uh, a left of centre politician. But I think that's generally I mean, where just, it's hot just is. Broadly looking at the political situation at the moment, Mick. I mean, if you're Fianna Fáil, I mean they're doing very well in the polls at the moment. Their leader is quite very popular on the basis of so why I mean Fianna Fáil have I think played this very well in the last number of months in fairness to them I think they realised that if they brought an election on the public in a circumstance where we've just gone through an election the public would not give them any support at all Do you see a scenario whereby Fianna Fáil will be given full as one suggestion has it today will be given full sight of the budget prior to its publication for basically a once over My understanding is that the budget committee and principally Fianna Fáil, who, who are giving this support and supply arrangement, will have to have some, uh, not just sight, but will have some input that is, will be clear that their priorities are taken more by the government. I mean, that would be understandable. Oh, yeah, but I mean sight after their input that this is the final document, so and we'll okay this with you before... I don't know is the answer to that, whether or not they will see the full budget in advance. Normally, it's, it's, I mean, the Cabinet only ever sees the budget on the day. Uh, but, well, but Michael McGrath is actually... S- 
pouring scorn on the Budgetary Committee today in the paper saying that he doesn't see how it will come to any agreement because of the different views of the Be- members of that because committee. Because they're replay-acting, Susan, as yeah. you well know, uh, yes. by, by okay, some okay, of the more left-wing parties the, who just play-act constantly. Okay, I, I, I want to go to one other item, one nationally vital item <laughs> on a Sunday morning in late August, and that is the Rosa Tralee, and particularly a story in the Sunday Times today, Larry Donnelly, that the Rosa Tralee this year is going to ban any of the contestants uh, reciting poetry on the basis that it is, it is neither modern nor fast-moving enough, which immediately gives rise to the question that would infer that the Rose Tralee is modern and fast-moving. And would you agree with that? Uh, I don't know if it's either modern or fast-moving, but that, that one of the things I think people like about it is it's not so modern and not so fast-moving, mm. uh, that it's something different. I know that this year in particular, it's gotten huge media attention uh, and loads of criticism. I'll put my hand Every up. Every year. I, I'm, but this year, I think in particular, uh, and it comes from different segments, people are cynical about the diaspora and who like to imitate American accents and say the Yanks this and the Yanks that. And then the legitimate concerns, I think, uh, from some feminists who regard it as, again, uh, another way of objectifying women or telling them how to behave or what an ideal woman is uh, to that latter to, to those I, I, I accept that their view is sincerely held but what I would say is there's a lot worse stuff out oh, there absolutely. than the Rosa Tralee contest and again absolutely. I'm a fan I'm a fan and I think a lot of people who say they don't like it they're actually watching with it like this and I'll be watching both I think a I lot like of people it. would agree with you in, in yeah. terms of what kind of stuff is out there <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and I think it is a, a genuinely a, a just a rather silly response on the part of the organisers to ban poetry uh, from the Rosa Tralee I mean if they had several contestants last year uh, who recited poems good for them if that's their choice of a way of expressing for God's sake, you know, that, that's was, just I was at the nonsense. Flan in Ennis uh, last, last week. Amazing, amazing um, organisation, you know, 200,000 okay. 200, people there. But what was clear is the international community, the Irish international diaspora there in, in Ennis. And I, this is, the, the Rosa Tree is an amazing way in which we can reach out to the world as Irish people. And it's something that is uniquely Irish and should be celebrated. Great stuff. And so okay. is poetry. Yeah, yes. and so is poetry. I think everyone would agree with that. And I want to thank my panel from this morning, Brian Hayes, Larry Donnelly and Susan O'Keefe. Thank you all very much for coming in and reviewing the newspapers with us.